Hello and welcome to my podcast on art and artifact theft. Today we're going to talk about theft and the art of an artifact theft. Trafficking in cultural properties involves several acts that may ultimately result in the loss, destruction, removal, or theft of irreplaceable items. While criminals make significant profits from illicit trafficking, mankind has been denied access to archaeological information and therefore its heritage. For one reason, why this topic is is extremely important is because art and artifact theft compromises primary evidence for scholars to understand what happened in the past. To appreciate primary evidence, it is helpful to know what secondary evidence is. Cultures vary drastically. Objects and artifacts reflect culture in powerful ways. Primary resources are resources which are created during the time period of being examined, contained, first-hand information. Objects of cultural significance are often considered primary resources. Some examples may include stone, tools, pottery, vessels, metal objects such as weapons, items of personal adornment, such as jewelry and clothing, bones that show signs of human modification are also examples. Smithsonian Museum Director Elaine Grant suggests that artifacts provide us a way into history. Objects and their tangibility, she writes, provide a very variety of stakeholders with an opportunity to debate the meaning and control of their memories. Artifacts are the touchstones that bring memories and meanings to life. Archaeologists use artifacts and features to learn how people lived in specific times, places. They want to know what these people's daily lives are, what they were like, and how they were governed, how they interacted with each other, and what they believed in and valued. Artifacts are also sometimes shown as status within culture. This can teach us different things about how people lived on all levels, whether it be laborer or royalty. Without access to these items, we're unable to learn from them. This may be a topic that the masses are less likely interested in, that they may not find a need to use in their everyday lives for such items. But many think historians are, history is an important, but it's important for us to learn from it as well as preserve its secrets so families, organizations, in, institutions, governments, and different cultures can not only make effort to learn the mistakes of the past, but also progress our own on our own with technology that was once discovered but not necessarily recorded or properly protected. If discoveries in the past are not properly cared for and displayed for those who can present them as learning tools, what are we going to do? Oh, we are going to do the world a disservice. According to the FBI, Art and cultural property crimes include theft, fraud, looting, trafficking across state and international lines. This is a looming criminal enterprise with estimated losses in billions of dollars annually. To recover these precious pieces and bring bring criminals to justice, the FBI has dedicated art and has dedicated an art crime team of 20 special agents, supported by the DOJ trial attorneys for prosecutions. The Bureau also runs the National Stolen Art File and computerizes its index of stolen art and cultural properties for the law enforcement agencies across the world. In Brandon McLean's book, National Archives Investor tracks down stolen treasure, she said, what drives a person to steal pieces of the past? They think or believe 
for whatever reason, that no one else looks at this document. They feel they can do it better justice in their collection that they'll look at it, covet it more than anyone else at the archives. They keep it for a while and then they get into financial difficulty, then decide to sell it. She goes on to explain bringing people to justice always gives you the feel good that you think you're doing a good job and that you're doing something good for the taxpayers. There is really something coming in here and holding these items. There's just something about coming to the archives that you cannot get on the internet. We're trying to keep those things here, she says. If they're not here, people can't look at them. Brianna McLean, while hunting for the Wright Brothers airplane, Pat may not have matched drugs, dead bodies, and fast boats like Mitilagani experienced in previous job for the U.S. Custom Service, but she is still determined to find the patent after stints with customs and the Drug Enforcement Administration. Mitigani also worked for NASA and the Federal Reserve Board before joining, before joining the archives. According to the FBI, the jurisdiction-legislation on this topic is Title 18 United States Code Section 659 Theft from interstate shipment makes a federal offense to steal or obtain by fraud anything from a conveyance. Depot, terminal, any shipment being transported in interstate or foreign commerce. This statute also prohibits the, quote, fencing, quote, of such stolen property. Title 18 United States Code Section 22314 and 2315 interstate transportation of stolen property prohibits the transportation of interstate for foreign commerce of any goods with value of $5,000 or more known to be goods known to the goods to be stolen. This statute also prohibits the quote unquote of stolen goods. So stolen goods over $5,000 specifically. Title 18, United States Code, Section 66, makes major artwork is a federal offense to obtain by theft or fraud any object of cultural heritage from a museum. The statute also prohibits the fencing, quote, or possession of such objects, known, knowing them to be stolen. Title 18, United States Code Section 641 and 2114 Theft of government property makes it illegal to steal or embezzle any government property or to commit robbery, robbery of government property. Prospective guidelines are established by the United States Attorney and Federal Judicial District. So, what do you do when, you've, when art theft has been discovered? Well, here's what they recommend. Number one, protect the crime scene and do not let staff or visitors in the area disturb evidence. Two, notify your local police department immediately. Three, determine the last time objects were seen and what happened in the area or objects since that time. Four, gather documents, descriptions, images of missing objects and provide it to the police. Five, follow up on police actions and investigations to assure that everything possible has been done. In Allison Fördermark's book, How I Went Undercover to Rescue the World's Stolen Treasure, she talks about the priceless memoir retired FBI agent Robert Whitman, along with co-writer John 
Schiffman recounts his many years of investigation art crimes, but Men's story is compelling and fascinating from one of his humble beginnings to his experiences while leaving the FBI's art crimes team. Art crime has been a growing topic of research, and within the last decade, literature continues to expand in the scope. Increased recognition in law enforcement has resulted in the FBI's expansion of its art crime team, which currently includes 20 special agents who are specifically trained in art crime and cultural property investigations. The connection between organized crime and art crime is well represented in the literature. Organized crime in this area should not be confused with typical associations of organized crime, such as mafia-related. Rather, it's meant, in a broader sense, of interconnected organized networks in which the goods are trafficked. According to an article in Jerusalem Post named Stolen Treasure, a man's hobby is another person's profession. In fact, it's remarkably easy and cheap for criminals and terrorists to obtain firearms in Israel. On August 22, 1988, Tel Aviv District Court sentenced Saki Baseman, 29, of Ramal, 231 months, 231 months in prison for selling a Beretta pistol to another Ramallah resident, Abraham Zeta. Proof that hand grenades are the most commonly stolen weapon in the fact that it's the most fatal grenade attack carried out in recent years by Arab terrorists in Israel. ID-issued grenades are used. An Israel criminal will think twice before selling a gun to an Arab because a gun can be traced by its serial number and other marks. Grenades, on the other hand, are a different case entirely. Every individual weapon leaves its unique markings on the bullet taken out of the body and on the bullet fired from the suspect's gun at a laboratory can be used as evidence in court, a visual piece of testimony connecting a suspect to a crime. The walls of the laboratory are decorated with exotic handguns and rifles that have been used in the most horrible crimes in Jerusalem, published the Jerusalem Post. In some sense, the battle over antiquities is a part of an apocal shift. Once upon a time, those objects were tied to the national identity of Western empires, period from the 16th century forward. European cultures became the dominant force in the world, sweeping across the continents and destroying past civilizations. While claiming ancient history for itself, never before has one culture spread over the whole globe, says historian J.M. Roberts. This cultural shift is a one-way process. Europeans went out into the world. It did not come to them, he adds, except for the Turks. Non-Europeans did not enter Europe. And after conquering foreign culture, as Europe brought back home the trophies that were desired, along with slaves, spices, furniture, and raw materials. The imperial age beginning the 18th century were mutated in appropriation of ancient cultures for the glorification of European power. First classical history, then ancient Greece and Rome were adopted as frequent symbols of refinement and taste their monuments saw and intimidated in battle of supremacy along with comp competing empires. Then with the dawn of the 19th century and the rediscovery of ancient Egypt by Napoleon Bonaparte, which is controversial, mummies and periods were the new but most have status symbols, and this fascination fueled the rise of scientific inquiry in the past, the uncovering of the ancient. Restitution of stolen art is a topic that has come into its own. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, survivors of the Holocaust 
and Ayers became bold in demanding the returning of paintings and other artwork that had been confiscated by the Nazis during World War II. Some of these paintings had ended up in national museums in Austria, France, and the Netherlands, and the United States, or were in the hands of private collectors willing to acquire works with suspiciously thin provenances. The ownership was successfully challenged in lawsuits and received widespread discussion in the press. Paintings were removed from museum galleries and presented to descendants of the persecuted in a bid to offer some justice for murdered victims' countries that had been plundered of their iniquities, took note. In 1973, Carl Mile wrote in the Instruction to the Plundered Past, Quote, Given the present tempo of destruction by the end of the century, all unexplored major archaeological sites may be irrevocably disfigured or ravaged. We are witnessing the equivalent of the burning of the Library of Alexandria by Romans, the catastrophe bonfire in which such much of the wisdom of iniquity was consumed in flames. But these arguments cannot stand the test of time or the test of contradictory facts. The evidence of nationalism angry that fueled the collection of iniquities, the blind eye turned by curators and museum officials provide providence, providence of artifacts that they knew well enough that were probably looted. According to Rebecca Davis O'Brien from the Wall Street Journal in 2010, the president of Hobby Lobby spent $1.6 million on thousands of ancient artifacts that he hoped would help build a collection of antiques related to the Bible. Since the early 1990s, hundreds of thousands of objects have been looted from archaeological sites in Iraq, which, may, which many ended up on the black market. Insult to collectors. On the wake of the U.S. invasion in 2003, there was a widespread looting of Iraq cultural institutions and archaeological sites. Nearly 5,000 cylinder seals were stolen from the Iraqi Museum in Baghdad. Officials estimated at the time, in July 2010, the pair traveled to EUE where they met with two Israel antiquity dealers and examined more than 55,000 artifacts, according to prosecutors. His items included 1,500 tablets edged with ancient written system known as cuneiform, 500 Sunisform bricks, 3,000 clay balls imprinted with seals known as Bali, 13 extra-large cuneiform tablets, and 500 stone cylinder seals according to the complaint. According to Interpol, we can't see heritage protection in modern conflict as just a cultural issue. It's a security imperative. During the last decade, our world has witnessed a considerable increase in the destruction of cultural heritage due to alarmed conflict period that this has been accompanied by the organized looting, illicit trafficking, and sale of cultural objects that were an integral part of the country's heritage, history, and identity crimes against cultural heritage do not strike at objects. The destruction of heritage is linked to prosecution of individuals and communities on a cultural grounds. This can also represent security and stability issue and can be considered a war crime. Okay, now I'm going to introduce everyone to Jeremiah Pavel. He was a soldier in the U.S. military, and he's going to tell us about some of the experiences he had over there. 
until we're going to start with some basic questions. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. Um, where, okay, no, we'll go back. Okay, so what was your job in the military? I was a military police soldier. Okay. And where were some places that you served overseas? Uh, I did, well, I got my training done in Missouri at Fort Leonard Wood. And then once that happened, I moved on to directly to uh, Tong Dushan, uh, South Korea. And I was there for a whole, about a whole year. Then we were stop lost and then we were sent immediately to uh, Iraq. Uh, but we were sent to Kuwait first. And then we did some acclimation because it was super hot and they wanted us to make sure that we were good. And then we moved on to our post over in Iraq in the Al Ambar province of Ramadi. Awesome. And what was the name of your operation? Uh, the operation mission that we were on was Operation Iraqi Freedom uh, or OIF 2. Awesome. And what experiences did you have while you were over there? What was your um, job also? Uh, so, still military police at the time, uh, but the job posture is different. So, you take on more of a combative role instead of just like a, a garrison ticket writing, you know, site, you know, site guy who just marks and chalks tires and stuff like that. Um, you go into more of a security uh, posture. So you carry the big weapons, the big guns, and then you, when you show up, people live. Because we control the scene and we move people from point A to point B. Kind of like, um, basically like a gun that goes with these people. Because a lot of times these guys are traveling through Iraq on a convoy, totally kind of soft target. Like, no, not minimal weapons. And you're like, well, how come they don't hook everybody up like that? Because uh, there's not enough military police guys running around that have six vehicles that they can just guard a convoy that moves super slow because, let's face it, tanks are not fast. <laughs> so, um, when I got, when we, some of the places that we went up to, um, they were kind of basically thrown together posts. Very scary. I would not like to live, like, like to have been a permanent fixture there. Uh, the post I was at was near a glass factory in uh, Ramadi. It was right next to a major river. Uh, I don't know the name of the river. Um, but it was scary because a lot of times, you know, they would shoot rockets into the post. And we couldn't shoot back because they would shoot from apartment complexes. And we, we could have nailed it. But the problem is that we would have destroyed all the civilians inside. So it's not really the civilians' fault that one there's one bad apple in the bunch. So can't really do a whole lot and the whole goal was to win hearts and minds and not eliminate too many people sounds like a good goal no, <laughs> an yeah. important one yes very important so regarding the topic mm -hmm. of art and cultural theft mm -hmm. did you happen to see any of that over there do you have any stories to tell us i did see some uh i was aware of a lot when i was there um, Fallujah was destroyed for the first time, and when it was, uh, they were scaring up insurgency away from Fallujah because Fallujah was a hotbed for insurgents. They just kind of just kind of hung out that town. But 
in Fallujah, Baghdad, all this. So when you destroy one town, they all go, they get scattered to the winds. Well, it destabilizes the whole area because they think it's going to happen to another town. So people started raiding the whole thing, and especially with the Saddam thing happening, you know, when that, that regime ended, uh, people were like, well, what are we going to do for work? How are we going to make the money? So people would go into the Museum of Antiquity or other holy sites because, frankly, Iraq is just full of those and steal the stuff and then put it out on the open market and make some money. So uh, the stuff that I saw was more based on, like, weapons. So I saw a crate full of brand new Nazi machine guns with Nazi stamps on them with the, I think it's a some kind of like a Vaseline paste. It's like a preservation agent mm -hmm. they put inside so they don't uh, rust in transit. Anyway, that was there was a few other things too, but they were so old you couldn't really tell, and they didn't want us touching everything. So because you know, frankly, things start disappearing with the five fingers, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you saw sometimes you saw some things, and you're like, you're not sure you saw it, but you know you did. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, a lot of things ended up disappearing, and it, it's a big, for me, it was a big deal, uh, because a lot of that stuff we'll figure out, you know, we may not be able to have the science right now to decode some of the stuff that we're seeing, but it might answer questions maybe 30 or 40 years down the line when our scientific understanding is better. Mm -hmm. So having these things disappear on you, mm -hmm. it's, it's an issue. You know, and a lot of times, just like, you know, when the Nazis seized all the Jew, um, Jew stuff during World War II, we may never see some of those paintings ever again. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may be stuck, you know, in some guy's basement or inside of a, a special cell, and it may just rot to death because who knows they're not taking care of it or whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot of, some things are like, you know, kind of time is of the essence. Other times it's like, well, they're, you know, it's made of metal, so you don't really have to worry about it too much, but still, you want to, you want it so you can start figuring things out to do with it, scientifically. Did you see anything um, as far as items that may have been related to status within the Iraqi culture? I did. So, Iraqi culture, I did see a chrome and a gold-plated AK-47. That was pretty cool. Um, those are usually given to people of high esteem. Mm -hmm. um, it... It's a lot cooler when you see them on the movies, but like when you see it in real life, it's like, oh, it looks kind of fake. So <laughs> it, it looks almost kind of like a trophy, not so much something that shoots, but they all shoot. I mean, some of us had to shoot it. It did shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, a lot of times guys just carried it, uh, and that was with the military angled people. Uh, the tribes, they're the major cities. They all have like their leaders and stuff like that. They're kind of like Native American uh, in their way. They have tribal leaders, and then there's, they kind of just tell everybody what to do, and they kind of just do their thing, and they control the town. It's mm -hmm. kind of a different thing than America, because America, we elect our, our people, and we really don't know them. In mm -hmm. Iraq, a lot of times the leaders know everybody, mm -hmm. and everyone knows them. So it's, it's really kind of neat how their social structure is. Mm -hmm. Did you um, be in a situation at all while you were over there where you were confiscating things that belonged to the Iraqi people? Every so often, um, but it wasn't really my job. I was ro I was pretty much rolling security at that at that point. 
but uh, the inventory guys would always seize up, you know, the caches of, of goods. Uh, some of the stuff was more mostly weapons, because these people were war fighters. They're not. If they were, if anybody was going to be moving any merchandise of real value, they probably would have moved it well before America showed back up. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, as far as confiscation, <laughs> it was mostly weapons. Uh, occasionally, you get some artifacty stuff, but again, none of us were scientific. You know, scientists or anything, and we, mm-hmm. we didn't have any scientists around us. That could have told us if anything was actually worth anything or not. Right. And the country is so old. I mean, everything's worth something there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's statues that are like, you know, thousands of years old or, you know, uh, architecture that's just unprecedented. You know, like there's the Tower of Babel's there. I mean, and that's been worked on a lot. And it's surrounded by fans. It looks cool, but it doesn't look anything like the pictures you would think. It's just a red base stone hmm. it's really basic looking but yeah it's such a big deal because <clears throat> everyone knows about it right and so they protect it now oh yeah it's protect yeah it's it has a huge fence around it uh-huh. huge like you can't even you can barely see it with binoculars because uh-huh. the fence line is so there's so much distance between the actual tower and the the surrounding area uh-huh. I mean there's it's maybe a mile uh-huh. So what do you feel some policies should be regarding the issue of uh, looting, theft, confiscation, things like that, that maybe not be entitled to people that are taking them? What are some policies that you think would be good to be put into place? Well, I imagine education should be one of those things, but at the same time, I think that even if people were educated, I think... uh, Desperation is always king of the, of the moment, you know. Those people have to eat when you take their money away. You know, what are they going to do? Or their family heirlooms. Or those, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, policy-wise, I think the people... I think it's just a... It's a it's a criminal organization, straight up. I mean, desperation feeds the criminal. Mm-hmm. So, these people know that these people will buy... Will sell anything, and they'll sell it cheap. Um, they'll sell it cheap yeah um, (laughs) (laughs) I imagine um, there's no real way policy wise to block any of this stuff because it's just one ugly head of desperation hunger start you know whatever feeding somebody else who has a lot of money and then they don't really care they just want to own it because they can Mm -hmm. um yeah, it's that it's a, that's such a hard thing to find policy that would actually work other than just enforcement and like finding these people, rooting them out, fake buyers, um, a lot of police agencies, Interpol. I mean, you name it. Any of these, any of those were like good, but I think there's a lot other worse things in the world, but this one is one of those annoying things. Uh-huh. You know, you want to have answers, but. <clears throat> Sometimes it's just it's just harder and more expensive just to get those answers and there's other things in the world that block it and are more important <laughs> sometimes. Okay. Uh, what is your stance on how countries should deal with um, this issue 
internationally, like we said before, um, as far as art and culture theft goes. So if you look to look at it on an international level, which we mm-hmm. have a team for that technically, mm-hmm. or an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but say if they could be punished or put away or whatever, slapped on the wrist, I don't know. Like what do you, what's your stance on how um, internationally we should handle the repercussions of art and culture theft? Well, I imagine I'd be pretty more hardcore about it. Um, I wouldn't put anybody to the sword on it or anything because it's not really worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I like cultural antiques and other things and believe in the science behind it and the understanding of our, you know, all these faiths in the world, um, I imagine that other countries would probably want to get involved uh, to make sure that they limit the amount of flow. So if they feel that something's important, they should probably have some kickbacks or um, some kind of defense posture that they make, like, um, hey, uh, our government's being destabilized right now. Maybe we should move them to another, another like, maybe move them to Egypt or something like that. <clears throat> like a safer zone? A safer place, yeah. Because, I mean, riots are the worst when it comes to, like, expensive old stuff. <laughs> So, um, you want to be kind of, I imagine you want other countries to be more involved, but, you know, again, a lot of countries don't like when other countries are involved in their day-to-day dealings. Mm -hmm. So, you'd have people like Interpol, but Interpol's uh, reactive, not a proactive. So, I, I personally don't have any idea what would make that better. All I know is it's, it's a, it's a shame because... You know, every so often in the news you see uh, Nazi treasure show up. And you're like, well, I thought we were past that. Nope. <laughs> There's tons of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they seem to show up, like, you know, once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. So when that kind of thing happens, <laughs> who, there's, nobody, there's nobody really to blame. There's nobody to go after. It's, it's just kind of one of those things. You just kind of, like, you shake your head and you're just like, well... At least we got it now. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's a crazy thought, too, really. Yeah. To know that. I mean, especially if it is international, to see the lack of control you have over it mm-hmm. or people in the area or the U.S., whatever. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. Well, thank you so much for answering my question. My pleasure. I appreciate it. And we will continue on. <laughs>